welcome. This is the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese here with you solo. Uh, Donovan will be back tomorrow. Um, and to all those listening on the podcast, thank you, thank you, thank you. As always, subscribe, like, all that wonderful stuff. We appreciate it. Uh, we got the Thursday nighter tonight. It is the Las Vegas Raiders taking on the LA Chargers. And certainly not one of those matchups that we look at and go, boy, oh boy, I'm really looking forward to this one. But there are some storylines as it pertains to both of these teams. And I mean, one of them is, we you know, Justin Herbert's not going to be playing tonight. Uh, he's out the rest of the season, something that we had spoken about earlier the week that um, there was no chance that Justin Herbert was coming back. Uh, no Keenan Allen tonight as well for the LA Chargers. And I know that there are a lot of fantasy players out there that are certainly not thrilled about not having Keenan Allen, although, you know, Easton Stick, which is a fantastic name, by the way. Easton Stick throwing him the ball is probably the furthest thing from ideal at this point in the fantasy season. Uh, playoffs for the large majority of people that are playing. Uh, so that is a, that's a big loss. And on the other side, uh, Devontae Adams dealing with illness. It looks like he will play tonight. Um, who's going to be throwing him the ball? It looks like Aiden O'Connell. There was some talk maybe about someone else playing. I would assume it would be Jimmy Garoppolo and not Brian Hoyer. But if, if I'm the Raiders at this point and the season's done, we are very aware of all of that. Um, I'd probably be playing Jimmy Garoppolo right now to see if I can get any sort of trade interest in him for next offseason. Just because this is it's not gone well for him with the Raiders. We understand that. And and some believe that there is still a good quarterback uh, under those pads. Uh, we just haven't really seen it in in any sort of, you know, long stretch over the past little bit. Yes, he did lose his starting job in San Francisco to Brock Purdy, who's been fantastic, but you know that Aiden O'Connell is not going to be the guy. You are probably drafting a quarterback if you are the Las Vegas Raiders. Why are you not, like, why is Jimmy Garoppolo not playing to try and get some sort of trade value out of him? And I under, I know that he has a no trade clause, but if Jimmy Garoppolo is potentially going to sit behind Aiden O'Connell and whoever they draft, I'm pretty sure that Jimmy Garoppolo would waive his no trade clause to go elsewhere for a chance to start. There's no question about that. So I'm really curious to see what happens. Uh, maybe it, it doesn't look like it's going to be tonight, but depending on how tonight goes, maybe it's next week. Um, there's also the talk about who's going to be the next coach for both of these teams. And these divisional rivals may be going head to head, not only tonight, but for the services of their next head coach. We anticipate that Brandon Staley is not going to have a job with this group by the end of the season. Uh, if they have a bad loss tonight, he may not have a job after tonight. And the Raiders, um, we'll see what they do. Uh, Antonio Pierce, considering the roster that he has, I feel like he's done a pretty good job. Although, uh, getting shut out three to nothing against the Vikings was certainly not on uh, the things that you would take to your job interview as something that was very glowing. But it seems like the players like playing for him. They made this mistake before when they let Rich Bisaccia watch walk, and and he was he did a very good job. Got that team into the playoffs after John Gruden was gone. So I, I feel like. 
I have a feeling that Antonio Pierce is going to be the full-time head coach just because they've tr- gone out and tried to get the big fish. They tried, they, they brought in John Gruden again, and that didn't work. They brought in Josh McDaniels and that didn't work. So we'll see. We'll see how that, that all plays out. Uh, coming up uh, later in the show, former all pro and pro bowl linebacker, Sean Merriman will join us, uh, but pleased to be joined on the line right now by someone who I've wanted to get on this show for a long time. Uh, it's Greg Cosell, executive producer and analyst for NFL matchup on ESPN. He's a senior producer for NFL films and uh, one half of the X's and O's podcast. Greg, how are you this morning? Matt, good to be with you. How are you doing? I'm, I'm very, very well. Uh, and thank you for asking. Listen, I I've been, I've brought this up on, on this show um, over the past couple of weeks and you know, this, this Brock Purdy story. And I, for me, I have him as the MVP at this moment in time. Um, and whether you have him or not, it, it doesn't matter, but we can both agree. He's been having a great year. And I, and I know a lot of people want to call him a system quarterback and, you know, so many average quarterbacks can succeed in Kyle Shanahan's system, but He's making throws that some of these other guys couldn't dream of. What for you has made Brock Purdy so great this season? Well, first, let's understand that everybody's a system quarterback, Matt, because that's the way it's taught. Correct. Uh, (laughs) No coach rolls the ball out and says, let's run around today and see if we can make a few plays. So everybody is a system quarterback. I don't know why that term became pejorative or negative. That's the way the game is taught. Um, But he does two things that – you were hard to know watching his college tape because you don't because college football is not really like that. Um, number one, he throws with just really, really high level anticipation. I could show you numerous throws where he he starts his delivery before the receiver has even begun his break. Okay, that is a real trait. That's high, a high level trait. You don't see a lot of that in college because the college game is different. Uh, The other thing that he does, which you don't see in college either, is his processing ability is really off the charts. Um, Because what a lot of teams do with young quarterbacks, Matt, is they change the picture from pre-snap to post-snap, late rotation of coverage. He immediately recognizes that and knows exactly where to go with the football within the timing and structure of the play call. So those are two things you couldn't really get a feel for watching his tape at Iowa State. And I ended up watching his final three years at Iowa State, and I'll be the first to admit that I was wrong too. But this is not going to change, and people can say whatever they want, you know, the other argument I love, Matt, is, well, he's got good players. Well, I guess we should take Joe Montana and Kurt Warner out of the Hall of Fame because they you know, <laughs> they had good players, too. That's such a silly argument. Um, but the point is, is he has some traits that are really, really high level, and those traits are not going to change. Yeah, it, it's true. That's a that's a very valid point about the players. Like, okay, so what, he's supposed to play with bad players just because? No, no, no. Yeah, that's I mean, they uh, built around him. You know, you could probably take a ton of quarterbacks that are in, you know, I guess Peyton Manning shouldn't be there either because he was throwing to Marvin Harrison, who is in the hall, and to Reggie Wayne, who many believe should be. And so, and it's certainly a notch below if you're going to, you know, and Dallas Clark, who was a great tight end for a number of years. So, you know, that argument doesn't hold any water at all. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Uh, Looking at the 49ers and this recent run that they've been on, I, I mean, the offense has been clicking at a level that, I mean, this is Kyle Shanahan's dream right now, the way this offense is going. But on the flip side, the defense has been 
excellent. And there was that three-game stretch where they didn't play very well, and Brock Purdy certainly, I mean, he was concussed for a lot of it, which doesn't help. But when you look at how the defense has made their adjustments, it, it doesn't feel like it's as simple as, hey, you added Chase Young, and it makes the jobs of the linebackers and the DBs that much easier. Have they done something stylistically that has made this a much more dangerous defensive unit? And is it maybe something as simple as, you know, um, Steve Wilkes is on the field now as opposed to in the press box. Yeah, we'll never know the answer to that because we don't know how that impacts, you know, what they do or how they go about their communication. Um, but, you know, when all said and done, it's a defense that starts with their defensive front. Um, uh, because and, and obviously making the trade for Chase Young, they've got a big-time defensive front with a ton of depth. Um, but the other factor, too, is they have as good a nickel linebacking duo as there is in the league. Fred Warner is without question the best linebacker in football, and Dre Greenlaw is a really, really good player. And it's a fast defense. And normally when you look at a defense and you notice they're fast, it's because of the linebackers. That's what you really notice when you see a fast defense. Um, the key thing has been their, the secondary. You know, Ward, I, I guess, got hurt last week, only played four snaps. I guess we'll find out if he plays this week. But um, their secondary has, has played well. You know, uh, Steve Wilkes likes to play more man. He would, in an ideal world, like to do more of that. Um, but they don't play a ton of it. But they play a lot of zone. And uh, and they obviously coach it well because Jair Brown has stepped in for uh, Hufanga, who's you know obviously out for the year, and he's played extremely well. So it's obviously well coached, well drilled. Guys don't miss assignments. They don't make a lot of mistakes. Um, it's it's a really good defense. Are they the best defense in the league for you right now? Because I mean, you could make the case that Dallas is there. Although it felt like for a bit that Dallas were, you know, front runners, and and they did they did lay a licking on on the Eagles uh, last week. And it, so it's really hard to kind of gauge who might be close because it really does feel like when you look at the San Francisco 49ers, they are playing as well as anybody has in the game period over the last 20 years right now, the way that they're going between the offense and the defense, is there a defense that you look at that and you say, I think that they can compete with a team like the Niners? Um, you know, the, the Niners are, are, are really they're a difficult offense to play against, um, and and what they do in in so many ways is um, they they sort of negate great talent. Now I, I don't want that to come across as if they're unstoppable because I'm that's not the case in the NFL. Obviously, no one's unstoppable, but they do a lot of things with their formations, with their motions. They play a ton out of twenty-one personnel with the fullback Kyle Uzcheck. So a lot of teams have to decide do they want to match up to that with their base personnel, and when you play in your base personnel on defense, Matt, a lot of the things you do, you don't do in base. Most of the things you do schematically come from playing in your sub defenses. So, you know, that's one thing the Niners really do well is they play at a 21 and they kind of shrink the menu of a lot of things that defenses can do. Um, and then all the motions make it difficult because that, that also shrinks the menu because you don't want to get caught trying to adjust to all their motions because, you know, Matt, one mistake and it could be a 60-yard touchdown. So, you know, they're difficult to play against, but that doesn't mean they're impossible to play against. Um, there are going to be third and long situations in every game. You know, clearly teams can rush the quarterback. I think if you can get them into those longer yarded situations, you can work on the right side of their offensive line, uh, which I think is 
I don't want to say a weakness, but it's certainly not a strength. So, you know, it all depends on how games play out and how you play. I mean, look, we know on the first play of the game last week against Seattle, McCaffrey ran 72 yards. You know, that's not a good way to start the game if you're a defense. No, and he's been fantastic. Like, I, I know that early on he was getting some some MVP love as well. And, I I mean, I find it hard to believe that a, a, a skill position guy outside of Tyree Kill at this point is going to win it. But uh, McCaffrey has certainly been kind of the missing ingredient there. Uh, Greg Cosell, executive producer and analyst for NFL Matchup on ESPN, senior producer for NFL Films, and the X's and O's podcast joining me here on the Fan Checkdown. The, the playoff races have been interesting and i'm i mean there's been some bad football there's been some not there's been some very mediocre teams that are still in the race here but is there a team that you look at that is not in the playoffs right now that you say i do not want to play them in the playoffs if i am one of these teams that's home and cooled already because there's plenty of them i mean the afc is littered with seven and six teams and certainly in the nfc there's a bunch of six and seven teams but is there one team that's outside the playoffs that you do not want to play right now. Well, it's not a team that's outside the playoffs because if I'm not mistaken, Matt, and I don't check this, this is not what I spend a lot of my time on, but I think 30 of the 32 teams still technically are alive for the playoffs. Yeah, so the, it's, it's the crazy. only teams that are not are the Panthers and the Patriots. So, so I, you're probably asking me, is there a team that is sort of on the bottom end of the playoffs yeah, like, right now? Yeah, like um, on the bubble right now. Yeah. Um, I would say a team like Buffalo is probably a team that, uh, you know, you always be concerned about playing because the quarterback can be special any given week and make those kinds of plays that, you know, you just, you know, you, you kind of shake your head and go, wow, you know, so, you know, you, you, you probably, and they're a team that's been really good in over the last number of years. So this has been a down year for a number of reasons, um, by the way, the least of which are the interceptions that is such an overblown thing but um but the point is is they're a team that uh you know they can beat anybody and they could beat anybody in anybody's uh stadium i mean they've beaten the chiefs three years in a row in kansas city so they can win anywhere and my guess is that no defense feels that oh yeah we can control josh allen no problem I wanted to talk to you about the interceptions because I'm glad you brought that up because that is something that, you know, people don't read enough into. They just see the number and say, well, that's bad. But when you look at, especially a guy like Josh Allen, the numbers kind of speak for themselves. When you look at, you know, his touch that total touchdowns to interception ratio or turnover ratio, he's still pretty darn good considering that he does turn the ball over a lot. But for you, why is the interception because I'm curious to get your thought on it. Why is the interception such an overblown stat, and why do people get so fixated on it? It's a number on a page. You know, they see a number, and they decide that that's an unacceptable number. By the way, do you know who's thrown the most red zone interceptions in the NFL in the last three years? I don't. That would be Mr. Patrick Mahomes. Oh. Um, but but uh, you probably didn't know that, as I assume most people don't. Um, my yeah. guess is a lot of people don't say that Patrick Mahomes isn't a good quarterback. So, you know, that th- those kinds of numbers, I've always believed that, and this is because this is what I do. I watch tape every single day. I mean, I'm watching every play. So, uh, 
you have an interceptions. You have to look at each individual interception, and you have to understand its context. And are, are there some that are just head scratchingly bad? That's true with any quarterback, and there are certainly those with Josh Allen. But there are others that are not, and they're totally explainable. Um, and that's true with Mahomes, by the way, too. It's true with any quarterback. Um, just like sacks, you have to look at the context of sacks. You know, some quarterbacks get sacked more than others. You can't just look at a number on a page and say, ah, there you go. That guy stinks. That's too many you know and quarterbacks that tend to be aggressive mindset throwers will more often than not throw a few more interceptions and occasionally they'll throw the kind where you go oh my god what are you doing you know but Josh Allen's also scored the most touchdowns in the NFL over the last number of years that stat doesn't seem to get mentioned either you know so but these are all just numbers yeah, and and it's it's just very interesting. I'm a Bills fan. I'll be completely honest. The, the listeners know that, and that that's like the fr- there is some frustration, but I also know that he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league, especially based on uh, on his skill set. I, I wanted to I wanted to get your take on the Bills offense under Joe Brady, and and we've seen the James Cook usage change, um, right? Especially as a pass catcher, we've seen Dalton Kincaid's role kind of. It's a very weird one because in college, I know that he was more of a field stretcher, and they used him down the seam a lot. Um, but now he's kind of used in like that short yardage, like almost like a Cole Beasley type role that they had before. And then we've seen Stefan Diggs and his production go down, especially over the last five weeks. And, you know, uh, three of those weeks is with Joe Brady as the offensive coordinator. Have, what are the big differences that you've noticed in this offense? Because it really does look like a little bit different of an offense under Joe Brady. Well, I think there's been a little more motion. Um, they've done something that is sort of going through the league that is really hard to defend, and that's what we call four strong, where you have four receivers to one side of the field. That was actually the Cook touchdown, the 25-yarder this past week. Um, so they've done some of that. Um, but I think the one thing that they need to continue to work on, which has kind of been lacking from their offense, which you wouldn't have said in, in recent years has been lacking, are downfield throws. They're not really pushing the ball down the field. Now, they may feel there may be reasons for that that we can speculate on, but can't be 100% certain because we're not in the building and we don't know how they, they. We don't know their process of game planning and putting it all together. And, you know, it's easy to see the result. And everybody, when they see the result, thinks they know. You know, when, I don't know how you go about your business, Matt, but as soon as I see someone start talking about play calling, I just tune it out. Because you'd have to be in the building from the time they start the whole process of of putting together a game plan against a specific opponent to know anything about the play calling, and none of us are in that situation. So people just react to a given play, and if it works or they like the play, they go, great play call. And if it doesn't work and they don't like the play, they go, oh, that's a bad play. So I never get into a conversation about play calling. All I'm saying is that we haven't seen a lot of vertical throws. Now, there's obviously reasons for that, you know, as I said, we can speculate, but that is something that has been missing in their offense. Yeah, and it doesn't look like it's going to change either because, I mean, Gabe Davis has certainly had a down year, and they don't really have They don't have, have a true vertical receiver. That's the problem. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. one of the issues. I don't want to say that's the problem. That's one of the issues. Um, sure. You know, Davis is not really that guy, and he and he hasn't become that guy. You know, Diggs, and, and Diggs is phenomenal at what he does, but in many ways, Diggs is, is just really a high, high-level possession receiver. He's not a true vertical dimension. 
No, he's not. And that's certainly something that we've seen. Uh, you mean you get him the odd time, but certainly not something that's going to be a very consistent thing. Uh, Dalton Kincaid in that offense was something that I was really looking forward to seeing this year. And they don't really use him down the field a lot either, as I, as I mentioned before. What have you made of Dalton Kincaid's year so far? I mean, I think that, you know... You- I think they're trying to work him in. Um, you know, I, I love to stay coming out of Utah. I think that he has the ability to be a vertical receiver. You know, some of that's on Josh, too. Josh is not at his core, a patient pocket player. There are times where he doesn't let things develop and he gets out of the pocket when there's no reason to. You know, he's just an instinct player more than a precision player. So, you know, there are times when he leaves the pocket prematurely and he doesn't let the offense work for him. He tries to make the offense as opposed to allowing it to work for him. And he's the most physically gifted quarterback in the league, but I think he still needs, even in his, what, fifth or sixth year, sixth year maybe, I think he needs to continue to work on letting the offense work for him. Uh, A couple more before we let you go here. I wanted to ask you about Miami's offense, and I've shared this theory on the show, and and my regular co-host, who's obviously not here today, has shared the, the same thought. Miami's offense, it feels like whenever they play a, a really physical defense and they try to jam you up at the line and, and they throw different they throw different looks at Tua Tagovailoa that they've they've really struggled. And I mean that could all be amplified if Tyreek Hill has to miss any time with that ankle injury. Can you point to something specific as to why they have struggled against those types of defenses? Or am I way off in my assessment? Well, it's not that you're way off in your assessment. It's not so much the physicality. It's See, when you play Miami's offense, it's the inverse of how you would normally think to play. It starts with coverage, okay, because everything is quick game. So the pass rush isn't going to get there as the first order of business. You need to take away his first window throws. So what you need to do is to create doubt, change the picture. It starts on the back end, and you need to do that with seven. Now, you know, you need to rush four. So if you can take away those first window throws and make Tua have to wait and then start looking elsewhere, then your four-man pass rush becomes a factor. That's exactly what happened this past Monday night uh, against Tennessee. The Eagles did that really well earlier in the season. Miami did it well earlier in the season. It all starts with coverage. He's a first window thrower. He wants to hit that back foot and throw the football. He's not a late in the down, wait in the pocket. First of all, he doesn't have a very strong arm. So you know that it's the inverse of the way people normally think about pass coverage they think pass rush first when you play the dolphins it's coverage first then pass rush now how i guess that must be a, a, a lot of credit to mike mcdaniel and how he runs this offense as well because we talk there were a lot of people that talked about well we've never seen this in the nfl with all this motion and it it looked almost like they were doing some stuff that they would do in the cfl but it was legal um because a lot of stuff they do in the cfl would not be legal especially with the pre-snap motion um is that a lot of credit to mike mcdaniel just for how he structured this offense and just kind of being a, a little bit smarter than some people well, he also came from the 49ers, and they use motion. Uh, those are the two teams that use motion the most. And the Niners, Kyle Shanahan's been doing that for years. The only difference is is Mike's using it more in the pass game, where the 49ers use it more in the run game. Um, but the reason you do it in the pass game, and it's so important, is because you want your receivers to get free access off the ball. It's really, really difficult 
almost impossible to jam receivers in motion and they have multiple kinds of motion so it's really difficult and then you get that kind of speed with free access off the line of scrimmage and that becomes difficult to defend uh greg cosell is my guest here on the fan Checkdown. i wanted to ask you about the kansas city chiefs the, we've we've all heard the about the numbers with the chiefs and they haven't won a game this year where they've allowed 20 or more points on defense because the offense hasn't been able to carry them like they have in the past is it something as simple as his uh, patrick mahomes's wide receivers just aren't getting it done or is there something stylistically that has changed i mean we know that this offense ran through travis kelsey he certainly hasn't had the same time Type of year and, and I kept pointing to the loss of Juju Smith-Schuster from last year as at least a guy that you had to account for and and someone that took away at least an eye or two off of Travis Kelsey is it just the wide receivers aren't doing their job or is there something maybe a little bit more concerning I mean it certainly hasn't looked the same um I don't think Mahomes overall has played as well. Um, I can't get into his head, but my sense watching the tape is that he's not as comfortable with his tackles in terms of one-on-one pass protection. They've struggled all year. Donovan Smith on the left side, Jawan Taylor on the right side. Uh, My sense watching the tape is that Mahomes is almost anticipating pressure. And when you start to anticipate pressure, you perceive it before it's really there. Um, We know he makes a lot of plays moving, but he also moves when he doesn't have to and I think that that's that's probably been made a little worse this year because I don't think he's very comfortable and even though he's the best in the league arguably at making plays when he moves it's it's hard to live that way as the foundation of the way you play your pass game so it just hasn't looked quite the same um is there is there a I mean there's room for improvement is there a way out of this for the Chiefs because you know the one thing that I've I've said on this show is when you go to play the Chiefs there's not that fear of that offense there may be a fear of the defense because the defense has been really good for the most part of this season but the offense there's no fear is there a way that they can instill that fear or do you think it's just the personnel is the personnel and and it, it, they're gonna have to win games because their defense is is going to be a big part of it. Well, man, I don't think it's fear or not fear. I guarantee in defensive meeting rooms when you're playing the Chiefs that it's the Mahomes factor is talked about every week because he can make special plays at any time. And, you know, that that's the way it's coached. You know, when you're on the defensive side of the ball, it's not a matter of, of feared or not. No, no coach would ever talk like that. They would talk about the fact that, hey, you know, we got to build our defense and structure our defense because this guy can leave the pocket and he can make plays. And we can't allow that to happen. So how are we going to go about stopping that? It's not a matter of, oh, well, we're not scared of this defense anymore. They, they wouldn't even, that would, thought process wouldn't even enter their minds. Uh, one last one before I let you go, and you've been so gracious with your time, and I appreciate that. Um, is there, when you're watching the film, because, you know, like you said, you're watching film every day, is there a team or maybe a specific uh, coach or whatever that you really enjoy watching the film for because they're doing different things. Maybe they're doing some exotic things that we don't see a lot of. Is there somebody, a team or, or a, a coach coordinator that really stands out for you? Well, I think there's a couple of that are, you know, really interesting in, in the way they go about. Nobody's doing anything that no one's ever done before because that's not what football is. It's just different. It's just getting to things in different ways. But, um, 
you know, I've always enjoyed watching um, the Lions offense. I think Ben Johnson does a really good job in his pass game with the spacing of his routes. Um, Brian Flores is a fascinating guy to watch on defense with his combination of three-man pressures and blitz. You know, it's he leads the league in three-man pass rush and in pressure, which is a very interesting combination. So, you know, I think what he does is kind of fascinating. Um, so those would be two guys that kind of stand out. You know, obviously I didn't know you were going to ask me that, but those are just two names that pop into my head. Yeah, those are those are, are wonderful examples. Uh, Greg, thank you so much for taking some time for me today. Really appreciate it. I love the conversation. And I know uh, I already got a couple of messages from people. They loved having you on the show. So thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I know I learned a lot and I know that our listeners did as well. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Matt. Thanks for having me. There he goes. Greg Cosell, executive producer and analyst for NFL Matchup on ESPN, senior producer for NFL Films and the X's and O's podcast. Um, anytime that you can watch videos of what Greg does, um, a lot of them get posted on Twitter where he talks about these different things. Uh, he's a fantastic follow on Twitter um, at Greg Cosell. He's been doing this for a long time watching film and, and he he gets it like he knows exactly what's going on. Well, it was evidenced by that interview. Um, those different things. It's funny how he talked about the play calling and how, you know, none of us are in those meetings and we don't know what goes into that. And I hope that, I hope that, you know, you, the listener also learned uh, uh, something from that interview because I know I sure did. Um, Greg is fantastic. So, uh, thank you very much to him for jumping on. Um, and hopefully we can get him back before the end of the season because that was a lot of fun. I certainly know Donovan would enjoy a conversation like that. Uh, okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, former All-Pro linebacker, Pro Bowl linebacker, and founder of Lights Out Extreme Fighting, of course, you know him. He's been on this show already this year, and we're happy to have him back. Sean Lights Out. Merriman will join. We'll talk about the Chargers. What's going on with them? I uh, also wanted to ask him a question about who he loves to watch, whether it be a defensive player or an offensive player, but who is the player or players that he loves to watch week in and week out? That's all coming up. The fan check down. Matt Marchese here. Uh, we'll be back in a few. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese here. Solo. Donovan Bennett will be back tomorrow. He is on assignment today. We got plenty to talk about. We got Saturday games this week. We get to recap tonight's. Well, how should we describe tonight? It has the makings of being a disaster, doesn't it? I thought this was great yesterday from uh, from Easton Stick. He basically said, "Like I, hey, I know that North Dakota is not the NFL, but I expect to win." Yeah, well, I expect a lot of things. Um, but certainly winning if I am the quarterback of the L.A. Chargers at this point with the group that I am throwing to, I'm not expecting very much. Um, speaking of things that are absolutely hilarious, Patrick Mahomes was asked about Kadarius Tony and, and you know, not and not pinning blame 
on Kadarius Tony and his his response. Um, he said this in a message to Kadarius Tony. He said, "Just be you. That's all you can do in this life or in this league. You're going to make mistakes. Stuff's going to happen in your life. How do you accept that adversity and get past it and do it the right way? You make one mistake. That's not going to define you. It's how you. Re- it's going to be how you respond to that mistake." couple things in that one that's really rich coming from Patrick Mahomes after his tirade after the game um, against Buffalo where he accused the officials but it's also very rich considering you know that he said to Kadarius Tony one mistake doesn't define you how about two or three or four or five or six are we talking about the same guy here like, are we, is Kadarius Tony the same guy that went offside? It's the same guy that kerplunked an interception and ended up as a pick six earlier this year. That's had countless drops. That's gone at it with Giants Twitter in his DMs. Like, all of these things. Are we talking about the same guy? Because if we are, boy, oh boy, Patrick Mahomes has a much higher expectation for Kadarius Tony than I do. That I can absolutely guarantee. We're just standing by here for um, Sean Merriman, um, former all-pro linebacker with those Chargers. I'm curious to get his take on the Chargers right now. Because if we look at the facts here when it comes to the Chargers, If they fire Brandon Staley, that will be three coaches for Justin Herbert in at the start of next year will be his fifth season. And so to me, that seems like an abject failure on the organization to have this happen. And I know that this happens to a lot of young quarterbacks because, I mean, there's a reason why these guys get drafted why the the teams are so bad for so long because there's a reason why they got these guys because they were bad to get them and does adding a a great quarterback help in that regard and getting better absolutely it does but if you don't have the pieces around then it's not gonna work and when we look at the the chargers seasons of years past and we we talk about you know the the loss to the raiders in the last game of the year to get in um, and then we talk about the, the playoff loss last year to Jacksonville. Um, these are things that just continue to happen to the LA chargers. It's, it's something that we've kind of just become accustomed to. What is the, the saying? Chargers are going to charger. And that's kind of been the story, but seven and nine, nine and eight, 10 and seven. And it looked like things were going to get better. And then this year, well, it hasn't. And it's actually been quite the opposite. It's been a disaster. And did Justin Herbert play hurt in a couple of games? Sure did. But it's never been about the offense. As as At points, the offense has struggled. Don't get me wrong. But Brandon Staley was brought in to be the defensive wizard. And it hasn't happened. This team has spent the most money on defense. They brought in J.C. Jackson on a massive deal. That didn't work. He got expedited to New England as fast as they could possibly make that happen. And then 
you look and say, well, okay, they still have Derwin James and they still have Khalil Mack and they still have Joey Bosa and Kenneth Murray. And I mean, we could go down the list here of all these guys that they have and yet they cannot put it together. I'd be very curious to see where this team goes with their next head coach. Do you get an offensive guy that works well with quarterbacks like uh, Jim Harbaugh if he doesn't extend in in Michigan? Do you go out and get a defensive guy to work with this high-priced talent that you have on defense to really make this thing pop and then be sure to have a really good offensive coordinator? Maybe Kellen Moore sticks around. He's only been there for a year. And certainly out the, you know, the Mike Williams injury was a massive one for this offense because it was a lot on Keenan Allen. Quentin Johnston was always going to be a project receiver. We, for, for people that watched him at TCU, there was a lot of burst in that game, but he wasn't a refined route runner. There was still going to be a process when it came to him. And so, this is why things have not worked. So I'm willing to give the offense a pass in what has been kind of an up and down year, but I'm not willing to give the defense a pass, not with the guys that they have there. There is, there is absolutely no way that this defense should be performing as poorly as it has. And so, you know, you look around the league and you look at the the success that other people are having and, how many coaches have been the next guy and this, you know, genius. And well, maybe there was a backing to that. Like Sean McVay was the next offensive genius and that's worked out really well. But Sean McVay did it under Kyle Shanahan for a period of time that was longer than, you know, a year, which is what Brandon Staley did. And Brandon Staley took over a Super Bowl caliber defense with the Rams got this title of being this defensive genius and then got a job out of it. I mean, really good for him. Like he was definitely punching above his weight class and good for him that he got the job, but it's been such a roller coaster. First it was, he's the analytics guy and the analytics are what's going to define the LA chargers. And then he became the field guy and then that didn't work. So then he became the analytics guy again and that didn't work. Well, there's a common denominator here, and it's Brandon Staley, and it's not working. So I'd be very curious to see what the Chargers do at quarterback, uh, at, at head coach, because at the end of the day, they've put a lot of investment into Justin Herbert. And for me, it feels like the offensive guy that works really well with young quarterbacks, that's the one that seems to make the most sense. Other than that, There's talent here with this Chargers team. Whereas when you look on the flip side at the team that they're playing tonight in the Raiders, I think it's a team that doesn't have a lot of talent. Sure, they have Josh Jacobs and Max Crosby and Devontae Adams. But outside of that, it's it's Jacoby Myers is a good player. He's not a star. He's a good player. But they're missing the key ingredient, which they thought that they had in Jimmy Garoppolo, and that is the quarterback. It would be the most shocking thing 
if the Raiders did not draft a quarterback. And there's lots of good ones. You know, we don't think that they're going to get Caleb Williams. We don't think that they're going to get Drake May. But can I interest you in a Jaden Daniels? Can I interest you in a Michael Penix? Hey, can I interest you in a guy that's probably going to win a national championship in J.J. McCarthy? These are all things that are on the table. I can't imagine that they're going to pass on quarterback. You know, they did the whole thing with Derek Carr and that, you know, you guys who listen, the guys and girls that listen to this show know how I feel about Derek Carr. He is literally the definition of average. Look it up in the dictionary. Average. There's the picture of Derek Carr. Never going to be good enough to win you one. Never going to be bad enough to tank your season. He's just kind of there. So they did that dance. Then they brought in another guy who has had success in this league, has been to NFC championship games, has not really been the reason why they lost, um, but he certainly, you know, they didn't win, so he plays a role in that as well, in Jimmy Garoppolo. They almost need to start fresh. Get the coach in there that's going to work with this quarterback. Get the guy who is, and I really wonder about the Raiders and how they're going to go about this coaching search because, and I mentioned it off the top of the show, they've gone out and try and do the flashy thing because they're the Raiders and Mark Davis likes to make a splash. I do wonder if they look internally at their hiring process and say, maybe we're doing something wrong here. Maybe we don't need the flashy name. Maybe we just need the right guy for a change. Like what a shock that would be is to have the right guy. Something that this Raiders team, when you look historically at at the coaches that they've had, hasn't been a lot of success for the Raiders over the last 20 years. That's just the reality of it. And so you look at organizationally, the things that have happened, you know, the Mike Mayock, John Gruden thing really didn't work out, you know, and and I love Mike Mayock. I, I loved Mike Mayock during his draft coverage on NFL network. Like I loved all that stuff, but when tasked with running an NFL team, it didn't go very well for Mike Mayock. You know, they, they, they drafted Cleland Farrell with the fourth overall pick and everybody went, huh? What? Really? But that wasn't the only one. They made multiple picks that you kind of scratch your head at. So I'm really curious to see what happens going forward. They need a new GM. They need a new coach. Is it going to be, you know, something like we saw in New York with the Giants where they bring in, you know, Joe Shane, who was, if I'm not mistaken, he was the director of player personnel for the Bills. And they bring in Brian Dayball, who, as we know, was the offensive coordinator for the Giants or for the Bills and then became the head coach of the Giants. I wonder if that's the route that they go to keep some sort of continuity guys that had a relationship coming in. I mean, the two guys that they brought in to run the organization just recently in um, with the GM and the coach, they had a previous relationship with the Patriots. 
And that's and that's the other thing. Like between Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels, that didn't work because the Patriot way doesn't work anymore. I think that's become very evident. And actually, it's something that we haven't even really spoken about is this Bill Belichick stuff that's out there. And and he deferred yesterday when asked the questions about his future in New England and you know his response. And it's the response that we get all the time. I'm focused on Kansas City. I'm focused on, well, it's Kansas City this week. We're on to Cincinnati. We're on to Cleveland. We're on to whatever. I mean, I know you have to ask the question, but he was never going to answer that question. But do I think that they made a decision after the Germany game in which they lost to the Colts and then there was that whole debacle with Mac Jones playing the entire game and then being sat for what could have been the game-winning drive? I mean, maybe it, it never felt like a situation where they were going to fire Bill Belichick in season. That to me does not seem like something that the crafts would do to Bill Belichick. But I also do believe, and, and it, I mean, Tom Curran had the report. I do believe that Bill Belichick will not be the head coach or GM for that matter of the new England Patriots after the season. What I would like to see, and we saw it a little bit uh, on college game day, the Army-Navy game, Bill Belichick was on the broadcast. He was on the panel. You know, Lee Corso was there, and Pat McAfee was there, and all the, the usual suspects. And Bill Belichick's on there, and he's telling stories about his dad and how he grew up an only child, and football was their life. There is something that is so alluring to me about Bill Belichick becoming a broadcaster. And people are out there yelling at their radios right now, saying, well, he doesn't say anything now. But that's what he, he's doing that on purpose. But I think that, no, sorry, I think, I know that the wealth of knowledge that is in that man's brain, not only just about the game and the X's and O's, but the history of the game, and all the guys that have come through his system and the guys that he's coached. I would absolutely love to see Bill Belichick as either a studio analyst. I would prefer him to be a game analyst, the color commentator. I think that Bill Belichick would be absolutely fantastic in that position. That would be so much fun. It's no joke. And I think we caught a glimpse of that during that college game day broadcast with ESPN. I think that that there's something there. I think the stories, I think the analysis, I, I think he would be absolutely fantastic. And I think that there is, dare I say, a lighter side to Bill Belichick that I think we would all come to appreciate once his coaching career is done. When he is on the field, when he is at practice, when he's doing the press conference, Bill Belichick is all business. But you don't think that there's a little bit of humor in that man's body? Because I think there's a lot. We just don't see it because it's football, it's serious, it's whatever. But I would really be intrigued to see him in a TV role. I think that would be a lot of fun. Uh, unfortunately, we could not connect with Sean Merriman. It sounds like he's a little bit under the weather this morning. So hopefully we can reconnect with him at a later date. Um, just a couple of things before we wrap up here. 
Nick Mullins announces the starter for the Vikings ahead of their upcoming game against the Bengals. That's a big one. I know we certainly didn't think that um, the way that th- these two teams started, that this would be a big game. But when you look at it, both of these teams in the playoff hunt, they're there. And, you know, Nick Mullins taking over for Josh Dobbs. It was a great story, but Josh Dobbs, uh, pardon the pun, but really came back down to earth um, after having some pretty decent success. And then it all came kind of tumbling down. We'll see what Nick Mullins does. We've seen him play with the San Francisco 49ers and, and have some success in that system with Kyle Shanahan. We'll see how he does with Kevin O'Connell. Um, but the Vikings, when you look at this entire season are, they kind of, they are the embodiment of the season and it's, and it's craziness. Like started off insanely slow, started to come back. Then they lose their starting quarterback. They lose their top skill position player. The backup plays well for a stretch. Then he comes back down to earth. And now we've got the third string guy that's coming in and we'll see what he can do. I'm not ruling anything out at this point with Nick Mullins because we've seen the success that. Uh, Jake Browning has had over the past few weeks. We've seen the success that Tommy DeVito has had. Look at what Zach Wilson did last week, AFC player of the week, all of these things. I am not going to say that Nick Mullins is going to be bad. I'm not going to say that he's going to be great because I know if I say one of those things, the complete opposite is going to happen. And why is that? Well, that's because the NFL season has been drunk. That's the only way to describe how this NFL season has gone. When you have a bunch of seven and six teams fighting for a wild card spot this late into the season, when you got a bunch of six and seven teams and and teams that are five and eight that are still in the conversation, drunk is literally the only way that you can describe it. All the backup quarterbacks, all the injuries, the MetLife turf or turf monster, as it were, all of these things, crazy the only way to describe it that's gonna do it for us today here on the fan Checkdown. thank you very much for listening thanks to greg cosell for joining me on the program uh if you missed it check out the podcast greg is fantastic check him out on twitter he's awesome um you learn a lot he is a wealth of knowledge uh, thank you to andrew behind the glass donovan will be back tomorrow i will be back tomorrow we will preview the weekend slate of games hey saturday football should be loads of fun And of course, we got Sunday. All of that coming up tomorrow. Thanks for listening. We will chat with you tomorrow.